This morning, my message is called Vision Without Action is Hallucination. If you've ever received an email from me, you may have noticed just below my signature is this quote from Thomas Edison. Vision without action is hallucination. We as human beings, I'm not even going to put this on the church, we as human beings like to talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about, oh, if, if I just had this opportunity, I would do this. If I was in charge, I would do this. You know, one of these days, I'm going to do this. We're full of vision. But without action, we're just hallucinating. Okay? So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about some vision that the Lord has for us. But understand that as we talk about it, it takes our participation in this. God has a vision, He has a plan, He has a dream for each and every one of your lives. We have to connect with that. We have to put some action behind it so we can see God's purpose in our lives fulfilled. Amen? All right, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. If you want to turn over there, if you want to follow, if not, it's going to be up here on the screen. Just as always, and just as always, I'm going to start with a, a little story here. There was a large manufacturing company that moved into a town and they built a, a plant. And the whole purpose of this plant was to produce shoes. Now the owner of the company, he, he poured blood, sweat, tears, time, money, all kinds of action into this plant. And the goal was to produce the finest shoes available. He made sure that they had the, the best machinery. He made sure that they had the, the best materials. He made sure that they had the, the best training. In fact, he even made sure that the plant itself was comfortable and conducive to the workers so they could produce. And just as everything's getting up and getting ready to, to, to start running, the owner leaves town and he's going on to his next venture. And about a year later, he comes back into town because he's going to check up on his production house. So he walks in and he sees workers everywhere. There's lots of activity going on. People running to and fro here and there, just doing lots of things, lots of happy people, lots of things going on. But what he does not notice are any shoes. So he walks into the plant manager's office and he questions. He says, hey, we've been up and running for about a year now. How many shoes have we actually produced? And the manager says, well, um, none. None? And the whole purpose is to produce shoes. How, how can we not have produced the shoes and we've been up and running for a whole year? And the manager says, well, we've been doing lots of things. We started a softball team. He said, we, we've, we've put together these, these really good groups for our, for our kids and, and even for you know, the teenagers of the workers. And he said, we even bought this really good sound system so we could have sing-alongs every time we came to work. 
He said, I guess we just got so busy doing good things, we forgot to make shoes. Now just visualize this plant and stick a cross on top of it. Or in front of it. We do lots of good things. We've got lots of wonderful ministries going on in the church nowadays. You can find a group that's, that, that's for just about anything in a church somewhere. But are we producing shoes? See, the purpose of the church is to produce disciples, not to just entertain the workers. And Jesus obviously is the owner. And his vision for his house, his vision for every production plant that he has is to produce disciples. And as Pastor Sam said last week, as a church, our focus is going to be on raising up disciples. This 10-week series that, that we're going to be doing is all about being a disciple and not just a believer. You know, it's very important to be a believer, right? That's how you get into the kingdom of God. You believe. But there's another step that the Lord wants us to take, and that's being a disciple. Being who He created us to be. So what is Jesus' vision for a disciple? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to contrast just a little bit the difference between being just a believer and being a disciple. And what does it look like? And let me just say from the very, very beginning, because anytime we start talking about it, it's going to take some work out of you, it's going to take some action out of you, people start getting under something, oh my gosh. Let me just tell you, you do not have to do anything to ever be loved by God. He loves you so much. It is not by what you do that you are loved. Most of the time, it's in spite of what you do that you are loved. Right? You are loved. Everything that the Lord has, He's already given to you. It's already there. It's yours for the taking. You understand that? It's God's, but He's got it for you. It's kind of like when my kids were still living at the house. I had three coffee mugs that were mine. Everybody in the house knew those were dad's coffee mugs, okay? One of them has a lion on it because I like lions. One of them has Daffy Duck on it because I'm perpetually 12. One of them had Tigger on it because I'm perpetually 5. Now, I know that's shocking to some of you. You're like... I cannot, I, I cannot believe that you're telling me that, 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 that you're juvenile and you're thinking in any way. That the, the presence that you have on stage is just so overwhelming. We look at you as such a mature leader in the body of Christ. I'm so surprised. But just to prove to you that I may be 51 on the, the outside, but on the inside I'm 10. You know what I wanted for Christmas? I wanted a pair of socks, had cows on them. It gets better. You go up high enough, you see that the cows are being abducted by aliens. 
Thank you. But anyway, in my household, everybody knew those were my three mugs. Do you think that kept my youngest daughter forever drinking out of my mug? Every morning when I would get up, what would she be drinking out of? There's 335 mugs in the cupboard. She's going to take one of my three. Why? Because she knew whatever was dad's belonged to her, right? And it, it, it got to be a, a kind of a joke with us, so much so that when she went off to college, I gave her the Daffy Duck mug. And she broke it. Yes. Now we know why dad didn't want them drinking out of his mugs. But anyway, I'm telling you that because whatever the father has is yours. It's for you. And when we're believers, everything's laid out for us. But we want to move from just being a believer and move into being a disciple. God's going to love you. The love is right there for you. The acceptance is right there for you the moment that you believe. But we step into a deeper place of experiencing God's love, God's acceptance, God's mercy as we become disciples. Okay? We experience Him using us and the giftings that He's put inside of us as we become disciples. Okay? So we're going to look at just uh, five ways, real quick, five ways that we can be disciples. And I'm reading in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Verse 12. And in fact, I'm going to start in the middle of the verse because we're not talking about you being young this morning. I'm glad all of you are young. But really what I want to see right there is where it says, Be an example to all believers. You see, Jesus' vision for disciples is that they are, they are examples. It's easier to be a believer than it is to be a disciple. Because a disciple is an example of the character of Jesus. Are we disciples or are we believers? So let's look at these five ways that God wants us to step into being a disciple. First way that He wants us to be an example as a disciple is an example in speech. An example in speech. You see, a believer can gossip, complain, condemn with their words. God's still going to love you. He is. But a disciple knows what to say and what not to say. When to say it, when not to say it. How to say it. See, Scripture is very clear. Isaiah 51 says, I have the tongue of a disciple that I may sustain the weary with my words. Proverbs tells us that a rightly spoken word is like apples of gold on a silver platter. Our words are very, very important, and we're meant as disciples to be examples in the way that we speak. Now, of course, you can speak truth but not be speaking in love, right? We're good at that most of the time. 
as a parent, we can make our kids do things with our speech, right? We don't have to have really good reasons for them. It's because I said so. Why do, I, why do you want me? Because I said so. Don't ask questions. It's because I said so. But as we become disciples, God wants us to use our speech and be examples with our speech. Because when we speak, we are bringing life into people's lives. I remember a story. I heard this story when I was a kid. There was a, the story of a lady that lived in a small town. And she was known for just being an extravagant lover of Jesus. You know when you're an extravagant lover of Jesus, you're going to irritate religious people? It just works that way. She was known for being an extravagant lover of Jesus, but she was also known as someone who absolutely refused to say anything negative about anybody. She believed that the Lord did not want her to speak evil of other people. And in this small town, there was this mean old man, and he died. And the gossips, the religious folks, the little old ladies that didn't like this, this other lady because she was an example of who Jesus was really supposed to be, they decided that they were going to use this opportunity to get to her. Because this was the meanest man. There was just nothing good you could say about him. So they actually cornered the lady in a pharmacy one day and said, Hey, did you hear old man so-and-so died? You know he was the meanest man in town. You know he was a liar. He was a thief. He hated everybody. You know his wife left him and his kids haven't talked to him in years. And our disciples said, yes. I've heard those things. Now the gossips are getting ready because they're, you know, they're expecting. There's nothing you can say nice about this guy. So she's about to say something, and they're going to pounce on her and, and expose her hypocrisy. But our passionate lover of Jesus, she said, yes, I've heard. I've heard those things about him. But didn't he have nice teeth? She had made a determination she was not going to say anything evil about anybody. Why? Because she knew that a disciple must be an example in speech. In speech. Disciples know their words carry weight. Example number two is example in conduct. Example in conduct. See, believers can be chameleons in conduct. We have a lot of part-time disciples around the church. They're acting right when they're around the right people. But they can be quite different around other people. See, disciples are able to say, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let me ask you a question. If someone saw your life but never heard your words, would they see Jesus? 
You don't, you don't get to get up on the platform and tell them you know, how wonderful Jesus is. You don't get to say all these things. All they're doing is they're watching you. And me, I'm not pointing fingers at you. They're watching us. And as people watch us, even if we never got to speak to them, would they see Jesus? So we need to watch Jesus. If we're going to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, we need to watch Jesus, don't we? See, when I was a kid, when I was a little bitty kid, I wanted to be just like my dad. Most little boys want to be just like their dad. If my dad would put his hand on his hip, I'd put my hand on my hip. If my dad would, would, would speak a certain way or say a certain thing, I'd repeat it. Some of y'all need to watch out for that. My dad had this saying, I, I, I have no clue where this thing came from, but when he would get into traffic and he didn't like what somebody was doing, he would call somebody a dumb Dora. What's a dumb Dora? I don't know what a dumb Dora is, but I can promise you about a thousand times in my life I've called somebody a dumb Dora. I did not even know who Dora was until I had kids. Then I found out Dora was the explorer. Right? But when I got saved and I knew that God had called me into ministry, I started watching people. I started watching my grandfather. My grandfather was a, was a Methodist pastor. And I loved the way that he ministered. I loved the way that he would just talk to people. I loved the way that he told stories. I loved the way that he would take these little note cards and he would write out his, his notes on these note cards and he would put it in his Bible with, with, with uh, little paper clips. And I did that for years. Why? Because I was imitating him as he was imitating Christ. This is what you need to know. And this is what disciples know. Somebody is always watching. Somebody is always watching. So we've got to be an example in our conduct. All right, number three. And I'm moving on fast because obviously I spent about 10 minutes playing with batteries this morning because my time is already slipping away. Number three is we're an example in love. An example in love. Believers have situational love. You love me, I'll love you. You treat me right, I'll treat you right. You talk nice about me, I'll talk nice about you. But disciples know that they may not control the situation, but that they can control their attitude. Think about Jesus on the cross. Here he came to give his life so that we may have life. And the very ones that should have known the Messiah, because all they did was study the Word, write it down, put it in boxes, strap it to their heads. The very ones that should have known who Jesus was because He fulfilled the prophecies were the very ones that put Him on the cross. And while He was on the cross, they stood down there and they said, He claimed to be the Son of God. Let's see if God saves Him. They mocked Him while He was on the cross. Now, Jesus had already told his disciples, I can ask and my father will send legions of angels to get me out of this. You know good and well that if you were on that cross and they were making fun of you, you'd have been shooting laser beams out of your eyeballs and you would have because I would too. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
Somebody in here right now is going, yeah, but that's Jesus. So let me move you into the book of Acts. There's a guy named Stephen who happened to be a disciple. In fact, he wasn't even, he wasn't even one of the famous preachers. He was a guy that, that served tables. But he was a disciple of Jesus. And he was, he was in the, the streets, and he's preaching about Jesus, and he's praying for people, and miracles are happening. And the same people that put Jesus on the cross got mad at him. And they start to stone him. They're taking big rocks, and they're throwing them at him. This is a disciple. And he said, Father, don't lay this sin at their feet. He did the same thing that Jesus did. Why? Because disciples are examples in love. See, believers like to complain about things that they don't control. And they ignore the things they do control. You can control your attitude. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. There is a lot of darkness and there's a lot of hate in this world. But only love, the example of love, is ever going to drive that out. A disciple shows love by not reacting like the rest of the world. Number four, an example in faith. An example in faith. A believer talks about faith. A disciple knows faith has action. Just like James says, faith without action is worthless. So do we live our faith? Do we live it outside the church? Are we courageous? Do we jump when God says jump? There was a man. He just goes by, Brother Andrew. I believe he's still alive, but I'm not quite sure. He'd be really old by now. But anyway, just after World War II, when um, the communists had taken over most of Eastern Europe, and they closed it off to the West, and they made Christianity illegal, and they confiscated the Bibles, and they made it illegal to own Bibles, and they made it illegal to have church services. This man, Brother Andrew, heard the voice of God tell him, you take Bibles into these communist areas. In his early 20s. So what does he do? Loads up the trunk of his car and starts driving for East Germany. Now he knows that when he gets there, there's going to be a checkpoint. If he's lucky, they're just going to look at him and wave him through. But if not, they may check his whole car. And he pulls up at the checkpoint because he's a human being. You know he's gripping that steering wheel tight. The guard comes out, looks around, and he says, what do you have in the trunk? And Brother Andrew didn't want to lie, so he just said, well, why don't you look and see? So that, that, that military guard goes around behind 
his car. And he's going to check the trunk. And as he's going, Brother Andrew prays this prayer. said, Jesus, you open the eyes of the blind. Right now, I need you to blind the eyes of the open. <laughs> and that guard opens up the trunk. It's full of Bibles. He's looking around. He doesn't see anything. He shuts it and waves him through. Didn't happen one time. It happened over and over and over again as that man took Bibles. And he even built a, a group who did the same. They smuggled. They called him the God smuggler because he smuggled Bibles for years into these communist areas. Why? Because he knew a disciple had to be an example in faith. Now, you may not be smuggling Bibles, but your faith is a testimony to somebody. And a disciple knows that their faith may inspire somebody on a good day, but most people are watching you on bad days. It's easy to live for Jesus when everything's going good, right? It's on those days when it's not going so good. It's on those days when it seems like all hell's breaking loose against you. Are you still walking in faith? Are you still being an example? Are you still saying, my God will overcome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My Lord supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. It's those tough days. See, you may have been talking to, to some of your co-workers about Jesus, and they smile and they nod their head, but they're waiting on that day when things come against you, and they're going to see how you react in those moments because that's when it's real. And when they see that it's real in those tough moments, that's when you're really being an, an example. Number five. An example in purity. An example in purity. See, believers keep falling into the same traps over and over again. As believers, sometimes we justify sin. God understands. He knows. He'll, you know. But a disciple knows their weakness and they flee from it. See, sometimes, and, and I'm not pointing any fingers because I have done it. You see how close to the edge you can get without falling in. I know that's a mess right there because you know what? I used to live in this mess. God pulled me out of this mess. There's the mess. I wonder how close I can get to the mess without falling into the mess. But a disciple is back here seeing how close he can get to God, and he's not worried about the mess. And it's not just purity in what we would consider these great big sinful areas. It's purity in even dealing with the giftings that God has put in your life. See, giftings will flow. And I've seen this. You've probably seen it too. I've seen men and women who claim to follow after Jesus but you knew what was going on behind the scenes. And the gifts at time would still operate. Let me just tell you that, that a gift in operation is not God's stamp of approval on you. He said his gifts and callings are without repentance. He loves people so much that if you're the only one speaking, he'll still use you. Even if you're in a mess. <laughs> 
Okay? You got that? See, I, I understand this because the, the Lord has given me uh, basically, this is what you do before you get ready to preach. This is how I spend my Saturday nights. The Lord has told, this is, this is what you do. You know, I separate myself. I've already got my lesson together, but I separate myself. I pray. I pray over the service. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing my heart to minister. And there's a certain time on the clock every Saturday night. You can ask Lisa. I go away. I've gotten to where I even do it when I'm not speaking because I want to be kingdom-minded. And because if he's speaking, man, there needs to be a lot of prayer. Just kidding. <laughs> I love you, Pastor Sam. I should have pointed over here, but this one can fire me. This one has to put up with it. <laughs> but anyway, there was a night I just didn't want to do it. I knew I should be doing it. I knew I was speaking the next morning. I just didn't want to do it. I wasn't in the mood to do it. And you know what? I sat up and watched TV till like 1130 at night. And in my head, it's like, it'll be okay. God will take care of it. It'll be fine. And then I got up the next morning, and it was a complete disaster. And no, that was not last night. Thank you. <laughs> but the Lord was showing me. The gift will operate. I got up and I said some things. And there were some people sitting in the audience that probably didn't have a clue. I knew. I knew I was not making that connection. It wasn't coming across the way that I wanted it to. I found myself saying more stupid things than I normally say. We have to be an example in purity. Now finishing this up, Timothy 4.15 says practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that all may see your progress. Once again, is this just for me? No. It's for others. A disciple knows what we're doing is for others. I'm doing this so others can see. I'm doing this so other people will see Jesus. I read an article about Queen Mary who is the grandmother of the current Queen Elizabeth. And um, every year when she was young, she would visit Scotland. And she just loved Scotland, and the people of Scotland loved her. And she became so familiar with some of the people that uh, she would go out and just mingle without any kind of you know guard or anything like that. She was known to to walk kids home from school and, and things like that. And there, were, there was one, one day that she happened to be out, and a, a, a big rainstorm started to come up. And she saw a little cottage, and she went and she knocked on the door, and, and, a, and a lady opened the door, and she asked if she could borrow an umbrella. Now, the lady that opened the door did not recognize that uh, this was the, the queen of all Britain. And she did not want to give her good umbrella away to a stranger. 
And she just happened to have one that she was going to throw away. It was all tattered and torn and a couple of the ribs were broken. And she gave her that. Now the next day, she got another knock on the door. And there was a royal guard standing there. And he said, the queen has asked that I return this to you and thank you for the use of your umbrella. And the lady burst into tears. She said, I had the opportunity to give the queen my best, and I didn't do it. If somebody will have that kind of reaction for an earthly ruler, how much more should we desire to give our best to the king that paid it all? For us. Why do we want to be disciples? It's so we can give our best to Him. So, what I want you to know this morning I want you to know that you're called to be a disciple, not just a believer. A believer is the first step, it's a fantastic step. It brings us into that place of, of truly having an encounter with God. But He wants you to take that next step. And be a disciple. Be a student of the word. Be a student of who he is. And show who he is. Jesus' vision for you is to be a disciple. But you've got to make the decision to make that step. So what do I want you to do this morning? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, have I been a disciple or have I been, just been a believer? Then I want you to ask the Holy Spirit for courage to become a disciple. And then let's give God our best by refusing to be normal and pursue His best.